Welcome to Improv Interviews. This is Margot Escott, and I'm so delighted today to have a wonderful, talented, I can't say historic because that would make him sound too old, but Robert Moyer and Bob and I met during some workshops with Aretha Spolin Sills, and he actually studied with Viola Spolin, the mother of improv in my eyes. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I am so thrilled to have you. Let's go right into your improv story. When did you learn about it and all the things that, well, we can't tell you all the things in one soundbite, but yeah. as much as you can tell me about how you learned about improv and what you, who you studied with, including, yes. you know, and our good friend Carol Sills and her influence on improv. Uh, I've been um, so fortunate to study with uh, to be around. Uh, you can't say study because these people won't accept students. I mean, it's just a fact, you know, Viola has said historically, you know, don't, don't, it's not me, it's not me, it's the work, it's the work, you know, you couldn't thank her for anything. And she refused to accept people like me who want to go up and take everything like you can get from her, you know, she goes, get, away, get away, you know, but anyway, so, so I, I did not knew nothing about improvisation, which is what the family calls it. You understand, it's not improv; it's improvisation and theater games, preferably theater games. So I know nothing about that. I'm leaving graduate school. The uh, the thing is falling apart. Um, I've got a kid. I've got to go get a degree so I can support my wife and uh, child. Right, but my friends come to me and say, hey, we're starting this this comedy troupe on Bourbon Street in a nightclub that Sid and Marty Croft had used and closed down. And uh, we'd like you to be the tech director and stage manager of the show because they knew I was, I was really good at that. And um, I said, sure. So they invited me to the auditions, which were held above the cafeteria at the, uh, on the campus of Tulane University. And uh, it was advertised as a comedy show on Bourbon Street. So all these guys show up in what was, you know, cool 60s uh, clothes, leather pants, uh, you know, women in stockings and uh, pearls and everything. And, and we're sitting there. I'm waiting to hand my bona fides about being a tech director and stage manager to Paul, whom I didn't know was Paul. And out walks this guy who looks like Brendan Behan. He's got this bushy hair and uh that's what i remember <laughs> i think the he was wearing a corduroy suit at least a corduroy coat and it was green and he goes oh, i don't know uh, has anybody got a newspaper and a rubber band and, <laughs> and uh, before before we know it everybody is playing swat tag so all these people who think they're going to be cool and do bourbon street comedy are playing swat tag for those of you who know which means you run around with a rolled up newspaper and hit people and run and put it on a chair and run back and try to get your seat before you get hit with it that's what's happening and, and before i know it I'm playing. I'm not just sitting waiting to hand my stuff in. I'm playing. One of my fellow uh, uh, graduate students, because I was in graduate school for my MFA, was there. And I remember the next thing I remember is I'm up doing the mirror game with Louis Q. Barroso. Uh, who, no, this is, this is, this is a 67. Nobody is doing theater games. Nobody knows about that outside of Chicago. I swear to God, you know. 
<laughs> and I'm I'm auditioning and I'm and I'm playing I'm playing so hard and I'm listening to Paul talk and everything this man said everything I don't know if you've been to graduate school but graduate school was the most discouraging thing I've ever done I, yes <laughs> in my, in my the, theatrical life graduate school was the most discouraging uh, it's amazing <laughs> so I was going I'm not going to do that but Paul is talking and as he's talking I can still viscerally feel myself doing this yeah I'm nodding I'm going yeah yeah that's, oh this is it yeah this is I can't believe this over and over again so I audition and he calls me back now I can't believe it because I'm not good I'm not good I'm not a good improvisational performer at this time but, but I sit by my phone I remember sitting by the phone waiting because he would say when he was going to call he kept calling me back he says, oh, to, to, to be in the show, right? Because he's looking for an actor and he can't find it. So finally, wow. Wow. He, 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 we're still looking for that last actor. And I'm auditioning as that last actor. And I remember Paul giving us an exercise. And I think it was a gibberish exercise, actually. And I'm sitting there looking at the guy. And we do this audition scene after we've done about two other things. And I remember turning to Paul real sharply and looking at him. And he goes, well, you could be the understudy. <laughs> so I got to be, but I'm still, I'm still the tech director and a uh, stage manager, you know, so I'm still a part of this. And uh, we opened the show. We found the actor that we wanted. Paul said, I quit sending me these actors. He says, I, I don't want an actor. I want the guy at the party who wears a lampshade on his head. You know that guy? And Jack and I, the guy who started the company, said, yeah, we know that guy. And it was one of our teachers at Tulane, this South African guy who was just the wittiest. So we got him and he became the star of the show because Paul said, get me the guy with the lampshade on his head. Well, Paul, after a few days, this is the last job, I believe, that Paul ever did for Second City because he left Second City to do other things. And he says, I'm leaving. I have to get out of here. And he hands me the book. He hands me this book. You can see wow. what happened. Wow. Yeah. And he says, here, you lead the workshops until the other director, Sheldon Potemkin, the infamous director. Yes. yes. Uh, um, and uh, improv uh, director. Uh, you lead the workshops until he gets here. Huh, what? <laughs> so I would sit in rehearsal and I'd read the I'd read the book and I go, okay, so it says here you're going to do so and so and so. And so. Okay, try that. Okay, that's not it. Let's try something else. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was my introduction to uh, theater games was Paul handing me a book. So I've always said since that time that he didn't just hand me a book. He handed me my life's work. Because from that point, I was hooked. I mean, yep. I, I have yep. not done you know, everything I've done has been informed by this. I've done a lot, but you know, it's all been informed by by all his work. So the show lasted six months, and then I'm still stuck in New Orleans, and uh, I'm I'm working for welfare, I'm working for employment security, and I'm starting theaters right and left with friends in um, in uh, New Orleans couple of theaters and we had a great time you know we did wonderful work and it was all inspired by 
by Viola's work. I had somebody come back from watching Paul's original story theater show. And I said, oh, wow. So what's it like? And the guy says, well, you know, when your uncle tells a joke and in between the, the parts where people talk, he narrates real quickly. And I said, yeah. And he says, that's story theater. <laughs> Based what? on that description of story theater, okay, I started doing story theater. Tell us a little bit more about story theater, because not everybody knows yeah. about story theater. Or story theater is, is Paul's epiphany about how to do readers theater with without boredom. I don't know if you've ever watched a lot of readers theater, but there's, there's nothing yeah, happening. I've, I've been in a lot of readers theater. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. Yes. So, you know, people stand and they read the thing. Well, Paul, using the idea of the space where things happen and where people hand things back and forth to one another, um, as inspired by a, a, a quote from Martin Buber, where he says, you know, you, Paul says, you, the magic of story theater is you hold out a cup and somebody pours something into it, you know, so it's the concept of the space being created and you tell the story as it happens, because a good story evolves as it happens. That's why it's usually folk tales. And he used grim folk tales because he was a yes. great fan of, of folk literature. Uh, Grimm's fairy tales, uh, William Butler Yeats, uh, Yeats uh, stories, um, Rumi, these are all the kinds of stories that have that evolving non-psychological non-verbal truth at the s source of them which matches right up with viola's work which is all non-verbal non-psychological it just evolves in front of the audience and the space emerges and you narrate yourself as you go and you can't say something until you see it in story theater that's so important you just can't talk and that's what happens to readers theater people just talk so well, that's that story. Can you, can you explain what non-psychological means, please? Well, that means you're not dealing with emotions. You're not dealing with feelings. Not that they don't emerge while you're playing, but you don't play them. Uh, as as Paul would say, <laughs> Viola said first, emotion is a trap. Feelings are a trap. Character is a trap. You know, character is something that people put on. So it's between them and what's happening, as opposed to letting uh, who you are develop and emerge from a relationship with the other people you're playing with, the environment you're in, and the activity that you're doing. That tells you who your who your quote unquote character is. You know, you don't see the word character. You don't hear the word character um, because that's what happens. And in the doing of that, you don't worry about things like motivation. You don't worry about what the, uh, um, the all, all that's, I have to say all that stuff because I just don't understand it. I mean, that's why I had trouble with my theater training was I never under, really understood it. This is what happens when two people relate under the conditions of who, where, and what. Yes. So that's non-psychological. It comes out. You'll notice that every time in workshop, if you're working with Aretha, if you're working with Paul, 
working with Viola, when people start talking about that stuff, they go, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. That's not our focus. The focus is somewhere else. And it's nonverbal as well. Even though you're talking, the relationship is nonverbal. What's dialogue is what happens between people. And sometimes words are attached to it. Right. So that's people don't pay attention to that. You know, they're worried about the words. It's not words, it's language. And it comes from a relationship which is nonverbal. That's why, you know, uh, being in workshops like you are, you know that we use family a lot as a means because you've, you've got a relationship, you know, that starts. So that's, that's what uh, Viola means in my understanding. Um, about nonverbal, non-psychological. So, yeah. so what happened after Paul left New Orleans? What, where did you go after that? What happened? <laughs> I still did. I was, I was stuck there. I had a wife and kid and trying to, there's no theater in New Orleans to support yourself. And so I was, and I was finishing my degree. It took me five years to get a two year degree. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, because I understand. <laughs> yes, right, right. I'm sure many people, many people would understand that. And um, while I was finishing the degree, as a matter of fact, the year that I finished the degree, a mentor of mine, whom I've been doing some work for in the public schools, which is one of the things that got me hooked early on um, with working with children, uh, Viola was brought into town to do workshops. And the woman who invited me to come along with them i got to go with her that first day to pick viola up at the bourbon orleans hotel by the way which is she really enjoyed that it was really fancy and the very first workshop we went to she's in the middle of doing she says you got to help me there are too many people here so she she pushed me around and tell me what to do go get get those people all involved we were doing the mirror game okay get them all involved okay get them side coach them into the mirror you know, uh, and so, you know, since this is four years later, I've been playing the games like crazy. I don't still don't know what I'm doing, but I'm playing the games like crazy, you know, doing story theater. You know, I sent her a letter saying, I'm doing story theater. I can't wait to see you. Would you come? She sent me <laughs> sent back a note and says, how dare you be using my work? And <laughs> anyway, uh, it, was, it was kind of the basis of our relationship from then on. Um, then uh, she were so I'm her assistant. I mean, the very first time, the first day I meet wow. her, I, I become wow. her assistant in a workshop, and then and then I got to hang out with her. Uh, oh, we went out to dinner at uh, Galatoire's, you know, the famous French oh, restaurant, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was uh, uh, me and another woman who'd come all the way from Houston to uh, watch, to watch and be around her as well, and then I'm I'm. Uh, once again, Viola reveals the work to me and the waiter comes up and he's very short with us as frequently waiters in, in Bourbon Street are. And he was very short with us and Viola says, you know, watch this. She says, uh, he, he needs to be seen. He, he's not really being seen. And uh, Watch this. And he comes up and she starts talking to him and really seeing him and allowing of course allowing herself to be seen and the guy changes in front of our eyes okay he changes in front of our eyes into 
you know, uh, uh, a nice guy, you know, and he leaves and she goes, well, there, I just thought I'd try that, <laughs> you know, and, and then we, I got that she's, we're, she's doing a workshop on campus in the theater where I was had done my MFA show. And um, she says, uh, what game are we going? I don't know what to play with these people. So I got to help her plan the workshop as well. Oh my gosh. Well, around what year was this, Bob? This was, oh, this was 1971. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh my gosh. So, so this is how I met Viola. And then the next summer, um, I, she was going to attend because she was going to be honored at the American Theater Association in San Francisco. She was, I believe, going to do a workshop. So I flew out to be there. Friends of mine paid for me to fly out there. So I had to spend time with her there, going to workshops uh, with her, going to workshops and listening to Viola talk about other workshops. Okay, you know, we walked into, <laughs> we walked into where Julian Beck and Judith Molina of the Living Theater were doing a workshop. And we're sitting there for a minute and Julian and uh, uh, Judith sit down to talk. And Viola says, oh, they're just talking. Let's get out of here. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to listen to them talk. <laughs> so we leave. And that we met, that turned, that moment, that evening turned into the most startling moment of my directing career and which has guided me ever since. Somehow we got to talk about them as directors and directing and we were in an empty ballroom. And she says, here's the problem. She says, here's the problem with directing. Go over there. So I go to the other end of the ballroom. She says, see, this is just the director is telling you what to do. That's what people think directing is. She says, but come here, come here, come here. So we meet in the middle of the room and she hugs me and says, this is where the director and actor meet on the canvas of the stage. How's that for an inspiration for wow. Give me sure. with your life, huh? Oh. You know? And she, she, she just knows me from a week in New Orleans and I show up in San Francisco, you know, and, and that's, and I already, oh, as you could tell, I'm hooked, <laughs> you know, there's nothing I can do, but I'm still married now. I got two kids and I'm working in a college job, right? So right. finally in 77. There's a history here, I don't know if you know, uh, or if many people know. There was a company called Semeril who took her games and published them without crediting her or paying her anything. Oh my word God. for word oh in God. a box. The first, you see, you've seen the theater game file. Yes, right? yeah. The first theater game file was from Semeril, full of those cards. I have one. She sued them. And I believe they settled. I don't think that went anywhere. I don't even know if they officially ever sued. All I know is she got enough money out of it to start a theater game center on Santa Monica at the Pilot Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood. Wow. <laughs> and she started doing pilot programs where you could go and do, there was one that went very long, I think. Uh, I got in at 77 on one that was uh, five weeks long so i got to take class 
we did theater games in the morning and we did scene work, scene work in the afternoon. Okay. Now, oh my what, goodness. Oh my God. Because what people don't understand, I think, uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but the reason the games exist are because of scripts. You know, Viola did not invent these games for people to drink and have a good time in bars. Paul figured that one out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Viola did this to make scripts work. Every theater game was evolved, evolved to throw light on a problem on stage. So if Viola had a problem on stage, unlike most directors and teachers who tell you how to solve the problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. If there was a problem on stage, and you know this because you do it all the time in workshop, you're given a problem to solve that problem. So the learning comes out of solving a problem with a problem. Isn't that something that happened to us all the time in workshop? We go, oh, because it's ours. We walk away with it in our blood and system like Viola says. Viola says, which is why she would say, don't take notes. And it's why I remember Aretha telling you one day, don't, don't worry about the notes. Viola would say, look, I'll send you a list of what we did, okay? Then you can write on that if you want to. But if you don't take it away in your blood, she used that phrase, if you don't take it away in your blood, it's not yours, okay? So the script comes alive through the games. And I, this is the thrill of my life is directing the theater games. I don't get to do it much because people go, what the hell are you doing? How does that, everybody, everybody questions because you know it's the unknown right you don't know what's happening until you get there so you have to be comfortable with the unknown and rehearsal in america is about repeating the thing until you get it done right right it's not the theater game process you know that's not what goes on when you're really investigating a text which involves relationships and all that you play them and out of that you learn how the show is going to be. That means when opening night comes, you're still doing that, aren't you? It's not like, oh, opening night, and then, but. It's not like opening night and, oh, it didn't work. It's like you're working with the process the whole time, and then it emerges, if you timed it well, on opening night. But people go berserk. For instance, one of the things to do, uh, Viola encourages this, if you've looked at theater games for the rehearsal, uh, and if you look at her early work in the original book, and I believe it's also in uh, the other books, don't let the actors take the script home. You Did you know that? Did you ever read that? No, oh, yeah, see, there you go. Oh, I, never, I never read that, no. Uh-huh. Because who knows who's helping them at home, Viola says. Who knows who's helping them at home? So what you're doing is you're learning the lines in situ, in context, and you don't study them outside because, as Viola says, when you're not working on it, you're still working on it. Let it lie fallow. Then you come back to it. So that also drives people nuts because I, when I direct, I don't let people take their scripts home. They wow. Have to, they learn their wow. lines in rehearsal. And believe me, once you've got it, you've got it. It's not like, oh, I can't remember that line. Once you've got it, you've got it. Now, 
once people have it and it's long speeches because i've had this problem myself i've been in a play with you know two and a half page monologue <laughs> you you've got to figure out what's going on then of course you can get to this where you let you know you let the person work on the lines but in general you know and, and viola says this too in her book and it's true that at some point people are working on the lines and you just walk up and take the book away from them and they'll know the lines so all that comes from viola's work which is about and making a script work better okay we're making a script work i'm sorry forget the word better so, wow. so I want to ask you, I have this idea, I've seen, you know, some videos of Viola teaching, but I want to know about like when you met her and working with her, her, her essence, her presence, I just imagine her as this powerful charismatic figure that walks in a room and I, I don't know, I, I'd like to hear you describe, I imagine her in like flowing clothes from the 60s yeah. and I just have, so can you describe her for us please? Yeah, she she was uh, uh, she was uh, a presence, needless to say, a powerful presence. She was not charismatic in the way that she carried herself charismatically in any, in any way. She carried herself like a Russian Jewish peasant. Okay, she was close to the ground. She was grounded. Uh, she when she walked barefoot, her feet gripped to the floor. Uh, which I, I know this because hanging around her house, she was almost always barefoot. Um, and she was, she was Bohemian. She, she, she's, she's a Bohemian, right? That's, she lives in uh, the house she lived in was originally a goat herd's cabin, as I recall, it was on the property. And then uh, I think uh, Ed Spolin uh, is the one who uh, uh, built it into what it became. Uh, also, <laughs> As uh, as I'm sure Aretha has told you, is was kind of a was, was you could see the ground at places and you could see between <laughs> walls and places, you know. Um, so she had this ability to draw your attention to her, so that you wanted her to tell you what was going on. And in workshop, I have said this many times uh, since I've been working with Aretha, she had the ability to support you while not telling you anything. She would, if she saw a problem, and Aretha, I think, works this way. I, I know Aretha works this way. She sees a problem she won't tell you about it. she's not going to talk to you about it she's going to play a game that helps you with that problem so she is always working with the person she's always working with the people she's always thinking about what can i give them not what can i accomplish but what what can i give this person that will bring them out and she had she would use anything at her command to make that happen she would talk to you she would talk softly she would side coach softly she would yell at the top of her voice she would come up and punch you in the stomach if she if there was a moment that she wanted you to keep she would punch you keep that 
she would yell at you and then say, said the teacher loudly. <laughs> uh, anything that communicated to the player was what she used uh, at her access, you know. Uh, I can recall her at one time finishing exercise and very calmly saying to everybody, so how many people on stage were working on the focus? And everybody pointed to the group that was sitting on the other side of the stage from me. And, uh, and now who wasn't? <laughs> and everybody pointed. <laughs> And she goes, she came out of her chair. And as I said, she was low to the ground anyway. I mean, she, she was just grounded. Came out of her chair going, you got to cut that out. You've got to stop that. And I could see the audience behind her. <laughs> that was a little quieter than she said it. I didn't want to yell because she came at me hard, pointing her finger. And I could see the audience behind <laughs> I hear all the students, they're all like, <laughs> uh, and she came right up to me and stopped. And then she turned around and looked at the audience and says, that's okay. He knows he needs that. <laughs> <laughs> so she would, she would, uh, she just paid so much attention to you. You could feel that. You could feel the passion in her attention. If if she was going to work with you, she was going to pay attention to you, and she was going to, you were going to receive something. You know. Now that doesn't mean that she and every, you know, and everybody's told stories about Paul and all, and it doesn't mean that they didn't get crazy at times because people took advantage of them. I mean. Jeffrey Sweet wrote an article about Paul and Viola, about about Aretha and the family and Carol having to sell the house, right? Jeffrey Sweet wrote an article about right. Paul and Viola being the people who never sold out, right? They didn't. But in my experience, there were people who took advantage of them. Well, while I knew them, there were people who took advantage of them. As, going as far at one point, uh, there was one guy who stole money from them. Okay, from from Viola, while she was having the theater center that I described to you. So at times, if, if you tried, <laughs> I, I was always coming up with plans. Let's try this. Let's try that. And she goes, I don't, 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 I don't want to do that. And sometimes I would provide something that maybe interested her. She'd go, no, I don't know. I don't want to do that. And I'd stop and she'd go, don't take my first no. <laughs> I wonder, don't don't accept my first no. I said okay, okay, okay. So you know we 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 did get a couple of things done. One of them was to get her an honorary degree, uh, a doctorate from the Eastern Michigan University. Yes. I was working for the, I was working at a university in Michigan and uh, finagled uh, a doctorate uh, for her out of that. So we were able to do that. We were able to get her to come. She agreed to come to Michigan to do workshops because we we bring Coleman's too, so he could wheel her around, you know. And so she got a doctorate at Eastern Michigan. So I, I was able to do that. Wonderful. And, uh, uh, you know, so it was, but it was, it was a struggle because, you know, to be suspicious, the first thing to do was to be suspicious because they're, you know, 
she was taken advantage of a number of times. Uh, I'm so sorry and, to hear that. Yeah, well, well, it's 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 true. It's so true. Don't don't you know artists who you know don't pay any attention to right, right. or or just you know somebody takes somebody takes it and does something else with it. You know, and that's what's happened. Uh, you know, I've, I've got to say, I've I've been studying improv for eleven years now, so I'm still mm -hmm. a baby, I guess. But um, there are so many of these improv studios or companies or whatever. You never hear the word spolen. Never hear it at all. And that always amazes me. You know, I just think it's incredulous because they're sometimes using your stuff or other things as well. I know I have language from some of these other places that Aretha doesn't recognize at all. I'm speaking gibberish when I say those words. But um, I think it's very sad that they're not getting a real good education on what improvisational theater is. I've had students come because my pro when I worked at the North Carolina School of the Arts, I was director of the high school program and the primary teacher in the program. And um, I would have students come in and play the games. And he goes, oh, I thought those were games that my teacher made up. Because they would have teachers who never mentioned that they were playing games out of Viola's book or out of the theater game file, of course, which is so accessible for teachers. You know, that was that was that was the thing that came out of the thing that got her the theater was the theater game file was then published by Northwestern University Press. That's the good news that came out of all of that. Wonderful resource that is. Bob, we're going to take a little pause now and come back for part two. We're going to be talking more about maybe Carol Sills and your own work, and maybe we'll write a haiku together. Okay. So hold on, and we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> 